0: I invite you to open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. Those of you that have been here most Sundays, you've been looking forward to uh, getting to 21 and 22, we got good news. We've read the end of the story, it it all turns out well, but in the middle of Revelation you're not sure, you're a little concerned. I've had people kind of leaving here in fear some Sundays because uh, the picture we paint is not real bright. And... uh, it gets real bright for the believer. Um, I've titled this message The Recreation. Don't read that recreation. It's The Recreation. We're going to see this morning a picture of the new heaven, the new earth, the holy city, Jerusalem. You wonder, what did that look like? Well, someone has seen it, and he wrote about it. His name's John. John was instructed at the beginning of the book of Revelation write down everything you see. And I think he has to be reminded. It it gets a little funny in this passage because I think John is so overwhelmed by the glory and the brilliance of what he sees that we hear God say to him, Write this down. Write it down because it's faithful and true. Write it down. We're going to get a picture of heaven today. You ever wonder what heaven's going to look like? I take groups to the Holy Land, and uh, there's a lot of questions before you go. Because if you've never been somewhere, you want to know as much as you can about where it is you're going, especially if it's overseas. Now, I mean, if you're going to Florence, you you figure I'll figure it out when I get there, you know. But if you're going to somewhere overseas, you've got questions. And some of them that I get on our Holy Land trip is, uh, do I have to get shots? I'm like, yeah, go ahead and get some shots. No, you don't have to have shots to go to Israel. Do I need to exchange money? No, you don't have to worry about exchanging money. They'll take your money and glad to get it. They're going to give you shekels for change, but they'll take the U.S. dollar. Probably the biggest question I got in my first year over there, are you not afraid of being blown up? It's like, no, I'm afraid of being captured and tortured. You blow me up, it's over. You don't have to worry about it. I'm with God. It's okay. What better way to go and what better place to go? You know what I'm saying? You're in the Holy Land for crying out loud. But we're not talking about just the holy land on earth. We're talking about a holy land that none of us have experienced yet. And really all we get is this glimpse from John. The word heaven or the the idea of heaven is mentioned over 500 times in the pages of the Old Testament and New Testament. It's mentioned about 50 times in the book of Revelation. And so the picture we get from John in this description is really the best we get. So let's unpack some of this word, lengthy chapter, it's 27 verses, I'm not going to touch on every single verse, but I want to read it. So I'm going to just read the first eight verses to get us into the passage and into uh, this sermon. Here's John speaking, then I saw, familiar phrase, right? New vision. Many times in the book of Revelation, he starts the chapter, or he starts the middle of the chapter because it's a new vision with, okay, then I saw. So following on what he's already described in chapter 20, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no longer any death. There will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne, behold, says, I am making all things new. And he said, right, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. And he who overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be his God. And he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars. Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. Which is the second death. So John sees this new vision, this holy city, the new earth and the new heaven. And the reason he calls them the new earth and the new heaven is what has happened to the old earth and the old heaven? It's gone. We read about that earlier in Revelation, that it has passed away. In fact, Peter says that everything's going to melt with intense heat. And so, it's gone. Way back in the Gospels, same author, John. Speaking, writing what Jesus told him to write. says Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. You catch that? Right before Jesus was crucified, the night of his betrayal, he says to his disciples, listen, don't be afraid, don't worry. What he's telling them is, I'm about to leave you, but there's a purpose in it. What's his purpose? He's preparing a place for you. Everybody look at me. If you're a child of God, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's a place being prepared for you right now. How long did it take God to create the earth? Well, opinions vary. I believe six days. How long has it been working on your place in heaven? 2,000 years. Do you think maybe what you see on this earth that people think this is as good as it gets folks this is as bad as it gets the place that he has prepared for us for eternity this pales in comparison there is no comparison and everything you see here that we put such stock in won't be here it's all going to be passed away it's going to be gone there's no longer any sea then he says i saw the holy city new jerusalem and the best way that he could describe it because what what john's seeing is this Brilliant glory of God. He said, the best way I can describe it is on a wedding day. When you see the bride walk down the aisle. That's just, in, in, in all of her glory, she is adorned, prepared for her husband. We've had weddings in this chapel where I stand here with the groom. And you look back and you see the bride walking down the aisle. What a beautiful picture. And that's the picture that John gives us. Of what he is seeing in the new heaven and the new earth. And this new Jerusalem that is coming down out of heaven. And so the reason that there is a new one is the old one has passed away. And here is the good news. God says, I am going to dwell with man. It is not going to be God off in heaven somewhere. And yes, we have the person of the Holy Spirit with us now. But it is going to be God with us. And there is good news in that. One of the things we can look forward to. In heaven into this new city is that God is with us. He hears this loud voice from the throne. I've mentioned this word before, the word loud is used often in the book of Revelation. It's the Greek word megos. The word voice is the word phone. So what's he saying? I'm hearing a megaphone. (laughs) I'm hearing a megas phone, megaphone. And he's heard it throughout the book of Revelation. And here's what he's saying Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. They were used to the tabernacle. The tabernacle they had in the wilderness was a tent, it was where God dwelled, it's where the presence of God would fall. And they're saying, You're not going to have to go somewhere to the tabernacle anymore. We'll talk about the temple in a minute. God, His presence will be with us for eternity, it never ends. And he says, I will dwell among them, and this is good news. They will be his people. As a child of God, you're now called the people of God. You belong to him. And he will wipe away every tear. I don't know that that necessarily means that we see God that we're going to be crying. I think it means this. He will wipe away every reason for tears. If there's tears there because you ended your life in pain or sadness, he wipes that away in heaven. There will be no more tears in heaven there will be no more death in heaven there'll be no more mourning or crying or pain why well death was cast into the lake of fire not only has heaven and earth been done away with and so there's a new one death has died and so we get to heaven and we spend eternity with god in heaven you never have to worry about death anymore you never have to worry about mourning literally grief why there'll be nothing to be sad about you won't have any more crying or pain. The older I get, the more I'm aware of what my parents talked about. You know, when you when you heard your dad bend over and make a noise, you know, or, or stoop to do something, when you stand back up, there's this groan. And Don't raise your hand, but you know, I wake up every morning, something hurts. You know, it's either your back or your leg, your foot, something like that. And sometimes it's all three or four things, you know. There's a lady in our church in Gastonia where I was youth pastor. You just learned, don't even ask her how she's doing. Because if you do, you better sit down. You're going to get the organ recital. She's going through every organ of her body and tell you how bad it hurts. (laughs) Well, guess what? There won't be one of those in heaven. Why? Because there's no pain. Will you have a body? Yes, it'll be a glorified body, but it'll be a body without pain. Is that good news for anybody? (laughs) I'm looking at some people out there older than me. Unless you found some new Advil or something, I imagine you're experiencing some of what I'm experiencing. There won't be sadness, tears, death, crying, or pain. Why? Because that's part of the first things. And what has happened to them? They've passed away, they've departed. And here's what God says I am making all things new. The word new means fresh, and it's not about chronology. It's not new just because it's on the next thing on the agenda. It's new because it's never been before. It is brand new. That's what God has been about, making all things new. What's he making new? New heaven, new earth, new holy city, and a new you. God makes all things new. And here's where he says, I think at this point, John is just a little overwhelmed. He's been told to write down everything you see. And if you're John, or if I'm John, and I'm seeing what John's seeing, I'm probably there with my mouth wide open I've dropped my pencil and my pad. I'm not writing anymore because I don't know how to write this. And here's the voice of God. Not often do we see God speak in Revelation. Most of the time it's a voice from the throne or it's an angel that says, come here, let me show you something. Or it's one of the living creatures. But in this case, it's God himself that says, write this down. <laughs> and I don't know if it was kind of a tap on John's shoulder to say, hey, I know you're overwhelmed. But what you're seeing right now Needs to be recorded. People need to hear this. And what you're hearing is faithful and true. This is the genuine article. This is the real deal. John, come back to reality. Wake up. Start writing again. You've lost your concentration. And here's what God said. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. First letter of the Greek alphabet. Last letter of the Greek alphabet. I guess in our terminology it would be, I'm the A to Z. What's he saying? Well, he tells us in the next statement. I'm the beginning and the end. God's eternal. He's always existed in eternity past. He will always exist in eternity future. There is no beginning or end because he's always existed. He's eternal. And he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give to those who thirst from the spring of the water of life. I'm going to give to those who thirst. I thought about one of the things doctors tell people in this day and age. You're not drinking enough water. I read somewhere, I think 75% of Americans are dehydrated, need to drink more water. You know what? I think spiritually we're all dehydrated. And what God is going to do when we get to heaven is hydrate us, (laughs) spiritually. He is going to give to us from the spring this fountain or source. And what does he give us? From the water of life. You remember the conversation Jesus had with the woman at the well back in John chapter 4? Jesus is at the well. The disciples have gone into town to buy food. This woman is coming, we believe, at probably noon, the heat of the day. Why was she coming at noon? Because she couldn't come in the morning when all the other women came. Because why? She didn't have a good reputation. She was tired of being talked about. She thought, I'll go at noon. Nobody will see me. And who's there? Somebody's there when she gets there. And it wasn't just anybody. It was a man. And for crying out loud, it wasn't just any man. It was a Jew. And Jesus says to her, if you knew who it was talking to you, you'd have asked me for water. And all that woman could think is, you don't even have anything to dip with. How are you going to give me water? And Jesus says, not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about living water. You'll never thirst again. Folks, when we get to heaven, God quenches our thirst. Living water constantly from a fount, a spring that can never run dry. Its supply is limitless. God's not dipping with a little dipper out of something where he's having to ration it out. He's given from a supply that never runs dry. And here's the great thing. How does he give it? At no cost. I think we in America don't get that. When when you hear, I'm going to give you something, we're always thinking, yeah, somebody's going to give me something. There's there's strings attached. There's a cost. I've shared this before, but in the fall, we're going to have Donut Day. You're going to be driving up and down the beach. If you come to Krispy Kreme, they will give you a donut. Free donuts. There's another donut stand, and I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to, like, politic against the donut stand, so I'm not going to tell you the name of it. But it starts with a D. Ends with Unken. <laughs> and they have free donuts that same day, but there's fine print. Free donuts with the purchase of a small beverage. And I'm thinking, that's not free. You've got to pay something. Now, still a great deal. All right, hit both of them. Go to Krispy Kreme, get your free one. Go to the other place I don't want to talk about. Get your one you got to pay 99 cents for. You're still getting two donuts for 99 cents and a drink. It's Pretty good. But see, in God's economy, when He says something's free, what does that mean? You don't pay for it. You can't. Is grace free? Yeah, it wouldn't be grace if you paid for it. It's something you don't deserve. But God says, I'm giving at no cost from the spring of life. I'm giving living water. Next week, we'll talk about the tree of life. And then great news, I will be his God and he will be my son. Ladies, you're not left out of this. Literally, what is he saying? You're my children. You understand that? Even today, the day you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you became a child of the King. You became a child of God. And that's the way it will be for eternity. He will be our God. And and we will be his sons and daughters. We'll be his children. And listen to the word he uses. He says, to those who overcome, they will inherit. What do you have to do to inherit something? Well, typically, you don't do anything. You just have to be a part of the family. You've got to have a benevolent benefactor that has left you something to inherit. What do we inherit? We inherit sonship. We inherit child of God. But then he goes on and he uses this word, and often in Scripture when you see the word but, three letters, B-U-T, sometimes it's good. Go back to Ephesians 2 and it says you're dead in your trespasses and sins. It talks about the depravity of man. But then about around verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2 it says, but God being rich in mercy. That's a good word. Here it's a bad word. because he says, listen, the inheritance of the believer is sonship. What is the inheritance of the non-believer? He says, but for the cowardly, the word cowardly means faithless. It's those folks who have fallen away when their faith was challenged or opposed. They weren't genuine believers. In fact, Jesus talks about them in the parable of the sower. Remember from Matthew, Matthew chapter 13, tells a parable of the sower. And one of the seeds falls on rocky soil. And you know what happens? There's no depth of soil, but it kind of springs up. But when hardship comes, what happens? It withers. That's who Jesus is talking. That's who God's talking about here, for the cowardly, for the unbelieving, those who have no faith, for the abominable, those who are vile and polluted, for the murderer, for the immoral, for the sorcerers. Interesting word here. For and I think I shared this last time. The word sorcerer is where we get the word pharmacist from. Any druggist among us? I know Lee's not here. I mean Willie Lee's not here. Any druggist? Right, it doesn't mean if you're a druggist that you're a sorcerer. What they would do with drugs back in those days is take mind-altering drugs in order to worship their mindless gods. But that's the word for sorcerer. Did you know that? you ever heard that? Yeah? <laughs> okay. Uh, we have a pharmacist among us. So for sorcerers, idolaters, literally the image servants, those who have worshipped, the last thing they're going to worship is the image of the beast, Right? That inanimate object, did they make it appear like it's talking? Kind of like something in Disney World or something. You know, it's like animatronics or something. You know, and it speaks, and people fall down and worship it. In fact, they're so excited, they get marks, the mark of the beast on their forehead and their hand. Idolaters won't be there, and liars, literally those who are deceitful, their inheritance, their part, is the lake of fire and brimstone. So you got two inheritances. For believers, what do we inherit? We inherit eternal life. We inherit sonship. For the non-believer, they have a part. Their inheritance. When the will is open in red, here's what they have to look forward to. The lake of fire that burns forever. And the lake of fire and brimstone, the word really is sulfur. Their part is the second death. As a believer... Chances are you're going to experience the first death. Your your body is going to wear out. And we're going to have a service for you. You're going to have a service for me someday where we celebrate the life of that believer. That's the first first death. But the second death will never touch you. But it will the non-believer. Folks, that's good news. That's good news for the child of God. Let's look at now his description of the new Jerusalem. Hang with me through this reading of this rather lengthy passage but folks it's just it's too good to not hear it and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me excuse me let me go back to verse nine then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me saying come here i will show you the bride and the wife of the lamb and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god "...having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal-clear jasper. It had a great and high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates were twelve angels, and names were written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east, and three gates on the north, and three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, and on them were twelve names of the twelve apostles of the lamb the one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its walls the city is laid out as a square and its length is as great as the width and he measured the city with the rod 1500 miles its length and width and height are equal and he measured its walls 72 yards according to human measurements which are also angelic measurements The material of the wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundation stones of the city were all adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. I saw no temple in it for the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God has illumined it. And its Lamb is the Lamb. Its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no night there, its gates will never be closed. And they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. What a beautiful description of a place that we've never seen. John gives really the best description in all of Scripture of what this new city, new Jerusalem, part of heaven, is going to look like. Now here's the deal. If you study Revelation and read enough commentaries, you're going to read a lot of commentaries where people want to make something of this that it's not. You're going to hear descriptions that they want to find hidden meanings behind John's descriptions. Here's the problem. If the words don't mean what they say, then who has the wisdom and authority to decide what they do mean? So you start down a real slippery slope when you're saying, well, that means this. This means I just take it to mean what he says it means and it's not something I can comprehend. I don't get it when it talks about a city that has walls 1,500 feet high or walls that are 72 feet thick. We're going to talk about that in a minute. The truth is, I think the truth about heaven is that it's more than he could describe, but it's certainly not less than he could describe and certainly not different than he does describe. Are you with me? So Let's look at this city, One of the angels, he's heard from this angel before, it may be in a different angel, but it's one of those who had the seven bowls, those last plague judgment comes up and it's not an invitation, it's a command. He says, come here, got to show you what's next. And so he sees the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven. This holy city, New Jerusalem that Jesus has been working on and I think that's where we go when we depart this life We go to this new city. It's the presence of God. But now we see it coming down out of heaven onto the earth. It has the glory of God. I think the best description we can get of the city is this. Probably the most apt phrase he uses of all these phrases to describe the city is that it has the glory of God. It talks about the bride. The bride is the church. And the city has the glory of God. And I think to get a picture, even defining the word glory, some some scholars define it as the honor that represents from a good opinion or a good estimate. It's real hard to describe glory. But what John is saying is this words like brilliance and transparent and light, it, it is the glory of God. And so he sees this new city coming down, having the glory of God. He says the brilliance was like a very costly stone. The word brilliance refers to something from which light radiates, emanates. It's the brilliance of God. And he uses the word jasper a couple of times. Most scholars believe the fact that it's described as a crystal and the fact that it's described as clear is nothing like the jasper that we could experience that we've ever seen before. It's more like a diamond. It's more like one that has facets. It's more like one that can sparkle. And so the building stones, you're thinking... You know, how much would you pay for a huge jasper stone? Well, guess what they're going to use that for in heaven? Building material. How about gold? You know, heard somebody say one time, if God had his wa- was able to speak to us about our love affair with gold, he'd say, why are they so excited about paving material? Gold's going to be used to pave the streets in heaven, for crying out loud. Don't put all your stock there. He describes the wall as, and having these, Uh, huge gates. And, of course, one question could be, why you need a wall? There's no enemies. All the enemies have been vanquished. And yet, the city is set apart as belonging to God. And the city has walls. It has huge gates. Now, keep in mind, if the wall is 1,500 feet high, I've I've read scholars that say, you know, the gate could be 1,400 feet high. Or, excuse me, miles. That's a huge pearl. Now, keep in mind, I guess the gate could be a little smaller than that. But huge gates. Pearls, you, we've all heard of the pearly gates. Well, this is where we get it from. Now, how, do, how are pearls created? Well, the most popular, I guess, mollusk would be oysters, right? What happens? How does pearls? A little grain of sand gets in that oyster shell, and the sand irritates the oyster, so he builds a defense against the grain of sand and creates a pearl. Anybody ever found a pearl in an oyster? Y'all need to get out more. They have oysters right here in Merl's Inlet. They, there's pearls in them. Now, if you get them already cracked, I guess they have taken the pearl out of that. But you'll find pearls in oysters because it's what they do. Now, you know, I, I'd be one of those, I'm thinking, let's go, go get a bunch of oysters and stick sand in there and then wait 100 years, you know. I don't know if it works that way. But I'm thinking, how big was the oyster that created this pearl? Well, it's God that created the pearl. And that's the description of the gate. The wall is 72 yards. I think he's simply referring to the thickness of the wall. Now, what were walls used for in the Old Testament and New Testament? It's where the people lived. There were homes in the walls. So I don't know if this is when Jesus says, my Father's house has many dwelling places. I don't know. Don't jump to conclusions. But it could be that that's part of the abode, 1,500 feet, 1,500 miles high and 1,500 miles long and 1,500 miles wide. It could be where our homes are. I don't know. some of you are going to be upset when you find out the walls are transparent. You're thinking, what about privacy? Well, there's nothing to be private about, all right? It's okay. I don't know that they're going to necessarily be see-through. We're all warned to be careful if you live in a glass house. But I think it's at least transparent enough for this. The the walls, the street, and all is transparent. Why? Because it all reflects, it all radiates, and it certainly does not block the glory of God. No place in heaven. Will we be apart from the glory of God? And he says there's no temple. John looks. There's been a temple in the heaven that he's experienced up to this point, but that heaven has been done away with. One thing he notices is there's no, there's no temple. What did people go to temple for? They went to temple to worship God. They believed that's where he dwelled, the holy of holies. We're not going to need that in heaven. Why? Because God's everywhere. You're not going to have to go somewhere to worship because life will be worship and worship will be life you will never be out of the presence of god so there's no temple there why because he's the temple the lord god almighty and the lamb are the temple they also have no need of the sun or the moon what's happened to the sun and the moon by this time they've been destroyed why do we need the sun and the moon well they're pretty important they give us heat they give us light they regulate seasons and climate and oceans and Those kind of things. not going to need those in heaven. Because there will be no night. In fact, it talks about these gates. And at night, in the New Testament and the Old Testament, you close the gates. Why? To keep people out. Well, they're not going to have to close the gates for two reasons. One, there's no enemies to keep out. Number two, there's never night. It is daytime all the time because you're experiencing the light of God's glory. The glory of God has illumined it, and the Lamb is the lamp. The nations will walk by its light. And here's some of the questions I've been asking this week. Okay, we catch the fact that there's earth. Now, just follow with me. I want to give you something to think about this week. New heaven, new earth. Jerusalem, the new city, is defined. 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. But there's gates. So apparently there's something outside. I'm like, is that where the golf courses are? I don't know. Somebody told me this week, they said, no, go- there's going to be golf in hell. It won't be golf in heaven. I don't know. I don't know what, what's going to be there. But apparently there's something outside those gates. And we come and go. They never close. It's never night. Or somebody else say, you know, hell would be, if there's golf in hell, it's going to be like the Augusta National Golf Course with no golf balls. <laughs> you're you're going to live on, like, number 13 in hell, and you, just, you can't ever play because there's no clubs and no golf balls. No, that's our view of hell. Listen, hell is a lake of fire that burns forever. It's definitely not that. The gates never close. And then the last thing he says, nothing unclean or any abomination or any of lying shall ever come in. Those folks are gone. The enemies of God are gone. And the ones that are there are those whose names have been written in the Lamb's book of life. The word book literally means roll. You've heard the song, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. There's a roll. And if you're a child of God, your name's on it. All of what John's just described has been created for you and God to enjoy for eternity. And the bottom line is, salvation depends on what Christ has done. It's his book, not yours. And the way my name gets written in the Lamb's Book of Life is the fact that I've come to faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Father, Lord, I confess we are so interested in what heaven looks like. And God, I'm sure that even what we read in this book of Revelation is so limited in its description because what John was seeing was something like we've never experienced before. And so, God, we look forward to it. We look forward to the day when we will see you face to face. And when all of this that is death and pain and tears is done away. God, thank you that we have to look forward to glory in eternity with you. And so, God, I pray for anybody in this room that would miss that. God, if there's someone here today that does not know you as Lord and Savior, Father, I pray, God, that as their heart is touched by you today, that they would simply say, yes, Lord, I need a Savior. I confess that I'm a sinner and that I'm separated from you. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin and to become my Lord and Savior. Father, that prayer is a simple prayer, and yet it expresses the desire of a heart that knows they need you. So, God, I pray if there's someone here today that applies to, that that would be their prayer before they leave this place. And, God, I pray for those of us that do know you. Lord, just the description of what we have to look forward to. God, may that put a spring in our step. But also a word on our lips for others so that they don't miss it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a closing chorus. I'll be at the back to greet you.